everybody, and welcome to yet another edition of the Time Out with DG podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Gotera. Thanks for stopping by. We kick off a new week. It is April 4th, 2022. This is episode 98. It's been a couple of weeks since I spoke to you. The last episode we had was when Deshaun Watson and Carlos Correa bolted town. A lot has happened since that time. Not really huge news, but, you know, that's what these podcasts are for, right? To BS a little bit, to talk about life, to talk about what's been going on. And there's been a lot going on in my life for the last couple of weeks. So we'll get into all of that here in a few. Before we get into that, though, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. What are you waiting for? Like I said, episode 98, we're inching towards 100 a 100th episode, that's uh, that's kind of a landmark for us, uh, for, for me. I didn't think I was going to have 100 podcast episodes when I started this whole thing, but I appreciate all of you guys supporting me, so um, we are getting there. And today's guest, at the end of all my personal talk and my thoughts on the whole Carlos Beltran, Brian Cashman still talking about the Astros thing from 2017, I'll, I'll give you my my opinions on that here in a few. We also have an interview with Holly Kesterson. She is the uh, president of the 2023 Final Four uh, committee that will be hosting the Final Four here in Houston next year. I caught up with her during this NCAA tournament as we talk about next year's games being here in Houston. We've hosted in 2016. We hosted in 2011. The 2011 Final Four was a bit of a dud. Uh, that's the uh, brickathon, if you guys remember, between Butler and UConn. Uh, Kemba Walker winning and UConn uh, coming out on top with a Butler throwing up all those bricks here at NRG Stadium. I still remember that game. <laughs> I was actually watching that in the newsroom. I was like, what the heck are we watching? This is a terrible basketball game. But 2016's final was a lot better between UNC and Villanova. That was uh, the Chris Jenkins buzzer beater to beat the Tar Heels. Tar Heels are back in it again. That was a great game between Duke and North Carolina. But I got to say, I've pretty much checked out of the NCAA tournament since U of H was knocked out. I was in San Antonio. I don't know if you watched our coverage on Channel 11. You followed me on social media. I was in San Antonio. That was my first work trip. My first work trip in two years. I used to travel all the time. But because of COVID and other issues that have popped up, that was the first time I actually covered an event outside of Houston for the station in two years. Um, and it felt great to get out, be with the Cougars in San Antonio. They won their Sweet 16 game. They almost had that Elite Eight game if they had just made a couple more shots. Goodness, look, Villanova found out what happens when you face a team that can make shots. And uh, Kansas blew uh, Villanova out of the gym in that Final Four game. So I, I think U of H would have won that game. I'll like, make a couple shots. Their defense was fantastic, uh, but they just couldn't do it. They could not find the bottom of the net in that game, which stunk because uh, that team was a lot of fun. Kelvin Sampson, we've all talked about them here on this podcast and you know on any sports radio show that you hear in town and maybe nationally. I think the Cougars are disrespected in the sense that they, you know, they play in the American. The American Conference was kind of down this year. I think they probably should have gotten another team in. They only got U of H in Memphis, but U of H was disrespected with a number five seed. Obviously, they are not a number five seed. They've proven that. They've proved that today, this year, I mean. They proved it for sure, getting all the way to the Elite Eight, dominating Arizona. Really, they dominated that team. 
They they at no point during that Arizona game did it feel like oh the U of H is not in control. They led the whole way, and like I said, they would have beaten Villanova if they had made a couple of baskets. So Kelvin Sampson's team is right on schedule. I think they're going to be even better next year. I hope Marcus Sasser stays and doesn't go to the NBA. Uh, Tremont Mark will be back after his injury sidelined him for the rest of the season. They've got some big-time recruits coming in. You know they're going to be active on the transfer portal. Uh, word is that they may be bringing in a big man uh, that would help them out. You know, Josh Carlton is leaving, the kid that transferred in from UConn, so they're going to need a big guy. And uh, word is that they may be bringing in a big name for that. So, I, uh, I'm i hoping that that is the case because... You know, as far as basketball is concerned, they are the star attraction here in Houston. The Rockets are a complete mess, a disaster. I haven't watched the Rockets game really from start to finish all year. I'm going to be honest. I have not. So I've seen bits and pieces of games, and, I, you know, they've got a lot of young talent. It's just they, they're competing for a top draft pick. I just I, I got other stuff going on in my life, man. I'm not going to lie. You know, maybe before, before I had kids – before, you know, I was married and even when I was dating, I mean, you had time to watch a lot of sports. Man, I got to be honest, I do not have time for that. I don't. It's always this balancing act that I have. And I know you guys, if you're parents at home, you do the same thing. You're always balancing whether or not, oh, excuse me, that uh, mic moved on me. You're always balancing whether or not you can watch all the games and do all this and still have time with the kids. But look, I have realized that is not possible. You have to prioritize your sports watching uh, time. And for me, my priorities <laughs> right now, my hierarchy of sports watching is White Sox baseball, Northwestern football, U of H basketball, and that's it. I don't even have AT&T Sportsnet at home. That's an admission that I have. I have YouTube TV, and they don't have AT&T Sportsnet, so I can't really watch Astros games. I watch the highlights, watch some recaps that are on online, and read the articles and stuff. I don't really watch Astros games. I watch White Sox baseball with my son at home at night, and finally baseball's coming back. This is the final weekend that we have without Major League Baseball. Next week, we've got it. Opening day for the Astros is on Thursday, but for me, opening day is on Friday with the White Sox opening up at Detroit. Um, so I'm excited that, that we can watch baseball all the time. The only thing I'm not excited about, and, and this there, here's a beef that I have, is that you know to cover the Astros, Major League Baseball instituted this policy. And it's a Major League Baseball thing. It is what it is. That uh, all media members, if they want to be credentialed, have to have the vaccine, two shots, and a booster. As I've chronicled here on this podcast before, I've had covid I got the two vaccine shots originally. Then I picked up COVID at the time I was scheduled to get a booster. So I had the natural immunity, so I hadn't gotten the booster. And I wasn't going to be able to get a credential to cover the Astros if I didn't get the booster shot. So I I did something that I did not really want to do, but I know it was uh, in the best interest of me, the job, the station, the team here at KHOU. I had to get that booster shot, so I did it. And... Um, not too happy about it. I was I got the chills and the fever and uh, the whole body aches thing again after the shot, and I, I got it last Friday. And it is what it is, man. I, I just I think some of these rules that have been put in place that we saw with Kyrie Irving in New York, and I know that's been overturned now. He can play home games, and there was a time there that Yankees and Mets players that weren't vaccinated weren't going to be able to play home games outside. 
Uh, so I think a lot of these rules are crazy. I think a lot of people have lost their minds um, when it comes to this sort of stuff. But I um, I did it. Got the booster shot. So I guess you can have an extra layer of protection. I've got natural immunity, three shots. I hope I don't need a fourth, a fifth, sixth, seventh. Who knows what's coming down the pipe. Uh, but for now, I'm not going to get any more shots. So I'm credentialed to go uh, with the Astros. Um, and their first home game is April 18th. The day after Easter, yeah, first home game, the 18th, since everything has been pushed back. Um, so I'm looking forward to their home game. But we get Astros baseball this week. We get White Sox baseball. We get Major League Baseball back, thank God. But going back to my uh, prioritizing sports watching, uh, seriously, I, I you have to do it. Like, I have to prioritize what I'm doing at home. Here's another uh, glimpse into my life. Okay, so I, I said I was in San Antonio. <laughs> I, this is crazy. I said I was in San Antonio uh, to cover the Final Four, and this was my first work trip, right? So I, I was excited in the fact that I was leaving to go cover an event outside of town and do something different, right? A change of scenery. I tell my wife all the time, she's in the business. You guys know her, Rashi Vats over at Fox 26, uh, one of their main anchors. I told her all the time, she's, she's really never taken a work trip to cover stuff outside of the city. And I tell her, you need to do that. At some point, just go... Go on a business trip. It's fun to get out, change the scenery, cover things away from, you know, the friendly confines here of Houston. Um, <clears throat> so I was excited. But in the back of my mind, I knew it could kind of be a disaster at home because here's the thing. My wife works night shifts, okay? And my kids, <laughs> my kids have become used to me being at home. So the week before I left for San Antonio, we had a crew in Florida for spring training. Jason Bristol was out there. Matt Musil was with U of H in Pittsburgh. So I was working night shifts the week before. And I kind of got a glimpse of what was to come if I did travel. My daughter, who's about to be two years old later this month. can't believe she's been two years old. She was born right after the pandemic started. Now she's going to be two years old. This is crazy. Anyway, um, she's about to be two. So my daughter all of a sudden will not go to sleep with anybody else except for me, which is, I know what you're thinking. Oh, that's really sweet. That's really, really cute. That's so nice to have. Yes, it is nice to have. I think it's cute, but not in the sense that she needs to be going to bed on time. So here's the thing. I knew when I was working those night shifts that she wasn't going to bed on. I'd get home at like 11, 1130. And this is no fault of anybody else. You know, my parents watch the kids at night when my wife and I aren't there or when my wife is there and I'm late at work, she it's no fault to them. It's just she will not go to sleep. And in turn, my son will then not go to sleep. So then I would get home at 11, 11, 15, 11, 30 at night that week. Everybody in the house is awake. Everybody. And if you've ever had kids or if you've had family members that have had kids, you know these kids are supposed to be in bed at a decent time every night. I try when I'm at home, I get these kids to bed about 830, 845. I need to push that time up as my son's about to start kindergarten. But yes, 8.30, 8.45, I, I tell parents that and they're like, oh my God, that's really late. I know, I know, but I'm trying to do my best here, okay? <laughs> so I need to push that time up a little bit, get them to bed about 7.30, 8 o'clock. That would be great since we got to get up earlier for kindergarten uh, in August. But anyway, I digress. So they're going to bed at like 11, 11.30. They're not getting sleep. And in turn, they're tired the next day. That opens them up to being sick. So it's like a it's like an endless cycle. So my daughter will not go to sleep without me. So when I'm there at the house, 
All I have to do is rock her a little bit, give her some milk, rock her a little bit, put her in the crib. She doesn't even fall asleep. She likes to fall asleep by herself when I'm at home. That's not the case with anybody else. She has to fall asleep with them in their arms and then go to sleep. But even at that point, she still wakes up when she gets put in the crib and then she starts crying and the whole thing. Basically, the bottom line is that she will not go to sleep without me. So that is the biggest struggle in the family right now in our world is that she won't sleep. In fact, my wife and I this past week for my birthday, which was this past Monday, we wanted to do a little staycation. Not possible. We were going to stay two nights downtown, Marriott Marquis, great place, love that place, got a great pool. Of course, there was bad weather when we stayed there, but that's my luck. Um, anyway, we were going to stay there, kind of relax and just kind of decompress from what has been a crazy couple of weeks. But no, we couldn't even stay the second night because my daughter woke up at four o'clock, didn't go to bed that night until like one o'clock. And then she was up. And so she basically slept like five hours, five hours, three, three to five hours, whatever it was. She didn't take a nap. It was a, it was a mess. So that's a glimpse into my world. So I'm having to balance all of this stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's all over the place. We can't really hang out. <laughs> we can't really go out. We can't really travel because um, she's just in this phase that she will not go to sleep on time without me, which in turn just messes everything else up the rest of the way. So that's what I've been dealing with for the last couple of weeks. It's been a long couple of weeks. So uh, what what is it? Like I've gotten, oh, and then I had a sinus infection there for a while. Picked that up from my son. Had to be on steroids, antibiotics. Then I went to San Antonio. Then I got my COVID booster. Didn't get really any sleep from my staycation. Like, it's been a lot, man. There's been a lot going on in my life. So I'm glad to be talking to you guys. This is my therapy session, I guess. So thanks for listening. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the situation at home right now. Uh, but sports-wise, like I mentioned, baseball's back. And, of course, the week that baseball starts, we start hearing, hearing and seeing all these stories from New York Yankeeville saying that the Astros are still cheaters for 2017. And they, they just cannot quit that story, can they? So last week, late last week, we saw an article in, I believe it was The Athletic. I think it was The Athletic come out with general manager Brian Cashman saying uh, that the Yankees' uh, chances of winning a title in 2017 were stolen by the Astros, which, uh, aside from those comments just being sad and pretty pathetic, it's also hypocritical, okay? The Yankees were steroid central there for a while. Like, they were the epicenter of the steroids uh, problem. 2009, A-Rod, I mean, he, a bunch of steroid usage. Um all throughout their history, especially in the 2000s, a bunch of steroid users, Andy Pettit, we had Roger Clemens, we had a whole bunch of stuff going on. And they are the last people to talk about or whining that they got a title stolen from them when they, they had a bunch of cheaters on their rosters. Okay, that's one. So that makes his comments sad. Well, that makes his comments hypocritical. What makes his comments sad that they got cheated out of a title in 2017 is that, one, you you don't know if you would have beaten the Dodgers in 2017. You probably would not have beaten the Dodgers in 2017. And two, give it up already, man. Just stop. It's it's over. The Astros did what they did. They shouldn't have done it. It was wrong. They were going to beat the Yankees anyway. And we've gone over this. We've beaten this thing like a dead horse. The Astros won all their games at home 
and the Yankees had no offense. That had nothing to do with the sign-stealing scandal. The Yankees had no offense here at Minute Maid Park. The Astros pitchers dominated. Lance McCullers, Charlie Morton, they dominated the Yankees here at home. Had nothing to do with the sign-stealing and the offense that the Astros put up. It was the pitching from the Astros that won that series in the ALCS in 2017, okay? So that was, that, those comments from Cashman <coughs> excuse me, are sad and pathetic and hypocritical. Okay, and we move on. Then, over the weekend, we saw Carlos Beltran, who was with the Astros in 2017. We all know his role in the sign-stealing scandal. There's no need to hash all that stuff out. He was a part of it. A lot of people say he was the mastermind, along with Alex Cora and the whole thing. We got it. Okay, fine. We're fine. So anyway, he does an interview with uh, the uh, Yankees broadcast network, the Yes Network up there. And uh, apparently he's an analyst for them now. Whatever. Uh, so then he is asked a bunch of questions about this whole sign-stealing scandal about when, and I believe this is the first really major comments that he's made since the whole thing broke and all that. And he's talking about, yeah, we should have, we shouldn't have done what we did. And, you know, if management knew what was going on, then they probably should have told us, okay, I'm not, I'm not taking away some blame from AJ Hinch and Jeff Luno or whatever you, you believe in that. That's fine. I get it. But. A.J. Hinch walked in and smashed a TV with a bat, and you guys still kept doing it, okay? I think that's enough sign from your manager to say, wait, guys, stop doing this. We're done. We don't need to do this. Anyway, they kept doing it, but again, it goes back to the original point. Why the heck are we still talking about this? This is sad. This is sad. It happened five years ago now. It's going to be five years that this thing went down, and we're still talking about it because Yankee fans cannot let go and cannot accept their own failures uh, with this team that they thought was going to win a championship but hasn't, have never been able to beat the Astros, no matter if it was in 2015, 2017, 2019, have never been able to beat the Astros. It doesn't matter what. And unfortunately, they are the team with the largest media market and the biggest microphones, biggest megaphones to keep complaining about this nonsense five years later. So I'm tired of hearing about it. It, th th all that stuff with the science-stealing scandal has really made stuff insufferable. We've talked about it before. Social media has become insufferable because of it. Uh, fan bases have become tribalized. They've gone in their own corners. They can't just watch the game. They have to watch the game and insult the other team. I lived through that during the last playoff run. People are, are just taking shots at me for no reason. Like Our teams are playing one another. That's why I hope, I hope the Astros and White Sox don't face each other. I'm being selfish. I hope the Astros don't even make the playoffs. I want the White Sox to not even face them because the Astros are good. <laughs> but uh, that's my perspective. Anyway, I'm tired of talking about 2017. It is a joke. It is a disaster. It's sad and hypocritical. And uh, get over it. For goodness sake, just get over it already, man. All right, now we go to my interview with Holly Kesterson, president of the 2023 Final Four Committee here in Houston next year. Hey, look, we hosted... A great 2016 Final Four. 2011 was great, too. City did a nice job. The games were a disaster, but the committee can't control that. So I talked to Holly about what she's looking for. She's actually in New Orleans right now this weekend with some uh, delegates from the city to look over the plans and how New Orleans is handling it and how to make it better. We get into that a little bit here with this interview with Holly. She's great. I, I hope to talk to her again soon. They have some cool things planned for the city. Check it out. Holly, great to talk to you. How exciting are you to be in March Madness knowing that a year from now you guys are going to be really going through this? 
Oh, we're thrilled. Any basketball fan is excited this time of year, but even more exciting now that we're going to be at the one-year mark here pretty quickly for Houston to be the next host. What goes into planning an event like this <laughs> or helping plan an event like this? There's so many pieces, so many moving factors. I'm sure it's a lot to handle, so you have to compartmentalize everything, I would imagine, right? Absolutely. There's a lot that goes into it, but we're very fortunate in the region that we've done this before. The, that kind of bedrock has been laid for us in 2011, 2016 with some amazing Final Fours. And our venues and our partners around the city are, are really ready to do this again. Um, but there's a lot that goes into it. Everything from planning the actual pieces that happen at the stadium to all the community events that go on, the things around the city that lead up to it. Um, we're well underway already in that planning process, but it just really ramps up once we get back from New Orleans and we're, we're on the clock. So for you, a little bit of background, so some people might not know, uh, this will be on, on my podcast. So, uh, so you got here in 2015, right? You got to Houston in 2015. So what's your background in all of this and um, how did you end up to this point? Yeah, so I did move to Houston in 2015. I'm an employee of the Harris County Houston Sports Authority. Um, and so we do all kinds of sporting events in, in the area. We've been excited to be working and prepping for this one. But my background before this has always been in sports. I worked for the United States Olympic Committee. I worked for a couple NGBs previous to this. And I was actually a student athlete. I played basketball in college. So this is a fun place to be and a fun role to be filling now um, as we lead up to the 2023 Men's Final Four. So is this something you always wanted to do, uh, plan big events? Like what was, what was your goal heading into college? I know you got your degree in uh, event plan. What was that? I know Jordan sent it to me, but what was yeah, your degree in it? Is this something you always wanted to do? So I have a degree in sports entertainment and event management, and then I have my master's degree in sports administration. Um, sports is all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to be an athlete forever. And at some point I realized that that time was going to come to an end, unfortunately. And so this was my way of staying in sports and staying in kind of that atmosphere, competitive atmosphere, as long as I could. I don't know that I ever realized I would end up in this specific role, but I was doing everything I could to stay in sports. And when I left college, I always wanted to work in basketball. That was the goal at the end of the day, um, but was exposed to all types of sports, Paralympic sports and so on. So this is this is a very cool opportunity for me, um, but even more special for, for all of our partners around the city as we lead up to what should be a pretty special event, especially coming out of COVID. We're excited to be having big events in the region again. Um, and I think everybody is ready for this one. 2016 was an awesome final four. I mean, that, that everybody still talks about the championship game and the game winner that uh, Chris Jenkins, I believe hit, right. And that was in 2016. What? so that that's a year into your tenure here in Houston. What, what was your biggest takeaway from seeing the city host an event like that? And as you plan this one, how do you go off of those past experience with that event to build towards something else? Yeah, that, 16 was a great Final Four. I mean, the weather was fantastic, number one. So all the community events down at Discovery Green and the Georgia Brown Convention Center was just an absolute blast for all those families that were in the area. And then, yeah, you can't beat the buzzer beater at the end of that game. That was That's one that everybody will remember. Um, so we'd love for those two things to happen for us again, <laughs> if we can all tee that up. Um, but I think the big takeaways were all of the other elements. There are only so many game tickets. There's only so many people who actually get to attend the championship game, how do we include as many people in our community as possible around the Final Four and the various activities going on? Um, the way the community partners came together and supported and created memorable experiences for the student athletes coming into town, but also the various visitors, coaches, 
uh, NCA and so on. So I think there's a lot that they did so well in 2016 that really set us up for even more success and even bigger opportunities and programs. One of the really cool programs that was created in 2016 was actually the Read to the Final Four. And anybody who was around at that time, it's a literacy program, it's for third graders and it's a reading challenge. That was created in 2016 here in Houston, but that program was so successful, it's taken off. Every Final Four, both men's and women's have done the same program since then, um, but we're really excited to be bringing it back and we're trying to do it even bigger than before. So in 2016, it was only available for HISD schools and now we're trying to expand that and hopefully we'll have thousands of kids participate in millions of minutes read as we lead up to the final four next year. So as you approach uh, a final four now, the year before you guys hosted, what is the one thing that you look for in the host city that's getting to host it the year before? I mean, what, what are some of the details that you, most of us are paying attention to the basketball and what, and uh, which is great. That's what you want people to focus on and, and not, not some of the behind the scenes things, but what, what do you guys as an organization focus on as you're leading up to this event from the previous year? There's so many lessons to be learned from the years previous. There's lots of similarities and pieces that are taken from year to year. But when we look back at our last experience in 16, the world is very, very different. So the opportunity to go to New Orleans, to see how they're doing some of the community events, some of the fan fests, how people are attending and consuming at the games. Those are things we want to take away so we can be prepared to do them even better when it comes to be us. But it's also a great experience for our, you know, our staff and our partners at the venues to get to go and work hands on and be involved in the year before us as that kind of ramp up starts to happen. Um, so that key trip to New Orleans is very, very important for us. And we're, we are looking at all those little details that hopefully nobody else is noticing just so we can be just a little bit better for, for us here in Houston. How do you with all the stuff that's going on and, you know, fortunately knock on wood that it seems to things to be clearing up here with, as far as COVID is concerned a little bit, but how do you plan an event this big with the uncertainties of the future, given that we've been presented with something new that who knows may, may hang around seasonally or I, you have no idea how this thing's going to react. So how do you plan for the unexpected given what we've been dealing with the last couple of years? Yeah, there are a lot of contingency plans in place and continuing to be in place. Um, we're really hopeful that we're we're hopefully going to get to see very little of those plans come about. Um, I think everybody across the board is ready for those COVID contingencies to go away. Um, but this could potentially be the first Final Four since 2019 that's got a limited amount of those contingency plans rolled out. So mask mandates, limited capacities. Those are the types of things that previous years have had to work through and experience. We'll still have a lot of those contingency plans in place just in case because we're running a championship no matter what. Um, but we're hopeful and we're, we'll knock on wood with you that we don't actually have to use those and we can experience and as many people can experience a, a full well-planned final four week. So pull back the curtain just a little bit, if you don't mind. Don't give away all your secrets, but uh, what are some kind of unique things that maybe fans could expect as we kind of ramp up to 2023's Final Four here in Houston? Well, we have a lot of things in the works and, and starting to be planned already, and I'm not going to tell you all of them at this point, but we're-, we're Oh, really come excited. on. Just, no, I, I'm just kidding. I just want you to invite me back a couple more times, so I got to be careful. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, okay. <laughs> but we're going to roll out some fun things right off the bat. Um, one of the cool things that we want everybody to get a chance to experience, and we hope you'll see us around town, is something called the Fan Jam Truck. 
and it is a truck that's decked out with all kinds of fun activities. So hoops on it and different things that will be taken to different areas in the city. Um, we'll actually launch it April 15th. I'm not actually sure if I was supposed to share that with you yet, but sneak, sneak preview for you. April 15th, that'll be in Discovery Green Park downtown. Um, and we'll be rolling that out for the first time to get fans to come out, play, shoot some hoops, play some games with us and engage. But we're going to take that all over the city for the next year. Um, and then we're starting to really roll out our community program. So everything from the read to the final four, like I mentioned before, we'll start to get into schools right away. We want to start helping um, our local elementary schools right off the bat. We're also going to be rolling out a college course that will partner with our four host institutions. So University of Houston, Rice, TSU and HBU will roll out a college course across all four campuses that get college young professionals engaged and involved with the planning right off the bat. Um, and then we're, we're going to do some fun community, just fun basketball experiences. So there's a lot to be seen. There's a lot to do over the next year, but we want to be as involved and out in front of our community as possible. So keep an eye out for us around town. How big of a factor is it for you guys to gin up support? Because, you know, there's always this argument in Houston whether or not it's a great college basketball town. But I feel like with the University of Houston doing what they've done, especially the last couple of years, this is really turning into that atmosphere that it was back in the day in the mid-80s. People are excited about U of H. No slight on some of the other schools. We know TSU's in the tournament too. But to have that 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 core school, U of H, kind of touch back into their basketball roots. That's got to be huge for you guys as a planning committee to really gin up more excitement for it. Yeah, it's it's definitely special to have some local teams as a part of the tournament run. Um, U of H is playing exceptional. TSU, we were excited to, to get to see them get announced yesterday and, and playing tonight, actually. So excited to see them do well. But at the end of the day, Houston is a great sports town, no matter what, whether we've got the local team involved or not. That's one of the things that make big events like this possible and why they keep coming back is because the community comes out, they support. Um, but it is always special and a little bit more fun when you get to have some some local teams involved all the way through. So do you have a countdown clock in the office? I'm sure you do. Um, yeah. Or do you have it on your phone or how is this going to work? Are you how excited are you? You're you're about you're almost a year out. This is crazy. It is crazy that we're almost a year out, and I can actually tell you to the day. We are 381 days away from... You do have a countdown clock. <laughs> I do, and our team here is fantastic to keep the reminder going. So we are all very aware how far away we are, um, and it's exciting. This is this is that fun opportunity to get to really get our team and our community ramped up. Of, it is big basketball time, and so whether you watch all year long or you're just watching in March, this is the time. But for us, it's just a little bit more of that sweet spot and that reminder of... Uh, we're next and we're on the clock. So we are very excited. We can't wait to get to get rolling. But yeah, we got a lot to do and we're excited about it. Awesome. Well, Holly, thank you for uh, joining me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Holly, for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Looking forward to next year's Final Four. And look, hey, we talked about it at the beginning. U of H is supposed to be pretty good. Wouldn't that be something if U of H gets to play in a Final Four here in town. Oh, my God, mind-blowing stuff. They are my college basketball team. I have officially traded in the purple and white of Northwestern for uh, U of H red and white, okay? They are my college basketball team because my school has still not figured out how to put the ball into the basket or uh, they don't know how to pass or dribble or basically any fundamentals of basketball, except for 2017 when they went to the tournament. That's never happening again. So U of H is my team, my college basketball team. I can't wait till they're back. And, boy, that would be something if the Cougars were able to get to the Final Four next year with a really talented and loaded squad, as I 
I believe they are going to have under Kelvin Sampson. All right, that's going to do it for episode 98. Hope you enjoyed the uh, podcast. Shared some insight into my life, my thoughts on several topics. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to talk to you next. Hopefully here in the next couple of days because I do want to get a baseball uh, preview up of the Astros season. That's uh, starting on Thursday. Like I said, baseball's back, guys. I'm excited. Cannot wait for the uh, the boys of summer to hit the field. My son's fired up about it. He's ready for White Sox baseball, as am I. Astros baseball, too. Until next time, see you later.